Hello and welcome to the App Fairy Podcast. My name is Carissa Christner, a children's librarian from Madison, Wisconsin. And each time that we have the App Fairy Podcast, I interview a different app maker in a sort of meet the author format. Today, I'm very excited to introduce you to Kate Wilson of Nosy Crow. Kate, it's nice to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure. I'm so glad you're here today. So your offices are located in London. Can you tell us a little bit more about the area? So we are, I'm looking at, onto um, London here, or a bit of London. Um, we're in a little bit of London called Southwark, which is a bit quite near London Bridge. So um, south of the river and, um, and a little bit over to the east. And it, as I look out, I can see a mix of, um, of houses and little offices. But we've also got a big building that people may have heard of if they know about kind of current architecture in London called the Shard. And if I go to one end of the room that I'm in, I can see the Shard from here. So it's an area that's changing a lot. But we like being here because we're within sight of a school. Um, we've got a playground, um, there's some social housing just behind us and, and there's a playground there and so in the summer we can hear the kids playing on the swings, um, so it's a nice mixed area and we're very happy to be here. About how many employees do you have in your app division? Well, um, in our app division, which sounds very grand, I think, <laughs> when, you call it like, when you call it that, there are three people who work full-time, Will, Ed and AJ, and then... Um, Tom and I, and sometimes Camilla, um, who work on both books and apps, because no publishing too, um, we are we work some of the time, and we've just got a new person to join us called Jess, and she's also helping. We do most of the work in-house, but we do our audio recording, for example, at an audio studio, um, and so we have support from a company called Strathmore, who, where we do all our audio recording, and then we've got freelancers providing things like the voice talent, their children, all of them, and um, and uh, our music. So, though I say it's three, and then some of a little bit of us, there's actually more people involved than just that three, I guess. But those three are absolutely the backbone of the business. So you have the three that are sort of in-house, and then you have a couple of other um, parts of the apps that are sort of outsourced to other companies that help out. Yes, and then some of us, and then exactly, and then some of us who are in-house and who work, we split our time between books and apps. So you did mention that Nosy Crow is actually first and foremost a book publisher. Is that right? I suppose so, though we always conceived of the two things together. It's certainly true that, um, that now we publish many more books than we do apps. How did you start? Did you start as just books or did you start with we apps? We started almost simultaneously books and apps. So our first book came out in January 2011 and our first app came out in February 2011. Oh, I didn't realize you started so close together. That's really interesting. Yeah, no, absolutely. It was, um, we, we're a young company, and from the beginning, it seemed a good thing to have a digital component to what we were doing. Nice. Um, so do you kind of feel like the apps create a larger demand for the books, or the books demand create a larger demand for the apps? How would you say those were related? In some ways, I don't think they are terribly related most of the time. I think that what I feel very strongly now, and I didn't feel this at the beginning, this was not plan A, but what I feel very strongly now is that the way you tell stories on screen is, should be, must be different from the way you tell stories on the page. And I've watched too many children 
kind of jab disconsolately at screen, hoping that something will happen, when it's just really a book that's got some bells and whistles that somebody's kind of forced onto a screen that really is a book first sort of idea or story or set of illustrations. And so we're trying to think, how do we tell stories brilliantly on screen? Question one. And question two, how do we tell stories brilliantly on the page? And I would say I think I'm a better print publisher for young children now, having had a lot of digital experience than I was before I started. Because I think I think very hard about what can the page do, the printed page, and what can the screen do, and how those are different. Sometimes, in the case of characters like Busy Bear or Pip and Posy, we've created apps that are not the same as books, not books as it were squashed onto the screen, but which have the same characters. And so we've tried to use the characters that children may be familiar with in book form and bring them to the app screen or that children may be familiar with in app form and, and there are books available with those characters in them too. I'm really interested in this concept that you're talking about, about how a book really is very different when it is on the screen versus when it's on the page, because that's something that I'm becoming much more aware of, too, as I really study book apps, especially. Mm. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how like that process has evolved from you from the very first app that you guys did, which I think was The Three Little Pigs? It was The Three Little Pigs. The Three Little Pigs is one of the more linear story apps that we have. But from the beginning, many of the principles that we had um, still applied. We feel very strongly that reading must not be the most boring thing that children can do on screen. And so when I described children to dabbing at apps, at book apps, and nothing very exciting happening, um, that was not the publisher we wanted to be. We wanted there to be genuine interactivity. So, for example, in The Three Little Pigs, when the child blows on the screen, the reader blows on the screen, then you can help the help the wolf to blow the houses down. Um, and that sort of interactivity was something that we were interested in from the beginning. We think that children have really high expectations of what happens on screen. They expect it to be mul properly multimedia. So that meant that we were composing music. We had music composed that was very non-linear again. So it was and that was quite difficult because when you compose music for audiobooks or you commission music for audiobooks they're done for, it has a beginning, a middle, and an end, and you know how long it's going to last. When you're commissioning music for apps, you don't know how long a child is going to spend on a particular theme. So you have to have something that loops, but loops subtly. So there were a whole set of things that we thought about when we were thinking about multimedia and interactive expectations that children have of screens that informed our storytelling for the fairy tales from the very beginning. And I think you can see that in, um, in The Three Little Pigs, even though actually in subsequent apps, we thought even harder about what, the, what it was possible to do um, with, a, with, a, with the screen that wasn't possible to do on the page. Yeah, I think you guys have done a, a really... Um a really groundbreaking job of exploring the different capabilities that the screen has. Um, for instance, I love how in the in your version of Goldilocks, the way that you've got Goldilocks's point of view in one direction, but then if you flip the screen the other yeah. direction, that it's the um, the little bear's point of view. I think that's a fantastic use of the capabilities of the device by itself. Yes, I mean, that just felt like something that you couldn't do in, in a paper format. And another good example would be um, Little Red Riding Hood, where um, 
I was really, I was, when I, we were researching Little Red Riding Hood, one of the very early stories of Little Red, versions of Little Red Riding Hood comes from France, Provence or France, and there Little Red Riding Hood meets a werewolf. She doesn't meet a wolf, she meets a bzu, um, which is a the Provencal word for a werewolf, and and the the bazoo in that version of the story says, "Will I take? Will you take the path of the pins or the path of the needles?" And that prompted in our heads this idea of there being a branching path in the woods. And in Little Red Riding Hood, it's almost like a choose your own adventure, I guess. Um, and each each choice that you make at the fork in the path, various paths, various forks in the path through the woods affects how the story continues and indeed how the story ends. So that's a good example, like the, the um, Goldilocks example, Goldilocks and Little Bear example, of where something can happen on screen that cannot happen on the page. Yeah, I think that part is actually one of my favorite of all of your apps is where Little Red Riding Hood gets to choose which way she goes and that it actually affects sure. the end of the book. I think that's I, yeah. brilliant. So that, actually, I might say that Little Red Riding Hood is my favorite from your collection, although I get swayed every time. I would say that too, but you must never tell anyone. It's my very favorite, too. I adore that app. I'm so proud of it. It's hard to choose, but maybe if I was absolutely forced to choose, we have a a radio program here in the UK called Desert Island Disc, and if there were Desert Island apps, and my nosy crow app and I was only allowed to take one app then maybe it would have to be (laughs) it'll be our secret we won't tell anyone except everyone who's listening Um, of course, my other favorite is the is the your fairy tale play theater because then we get to play with all of the characters and mix and match I them. I know, I know, and I love that. <laughs> I absolutely adore that too. And I just think that the idea of in, of, in, of thinking about how you hand creativity back to children who are app users, I think, is a very exciting element of thinking about what the screen can do. Absolutely. Can you tell us a little bit about the artwork? Um, I know that. In your, I mean, I I'm focusing a lot on your fa- fairy tale apps here. Um, but they all have a very consistent style of artwork. Can you tell us a little bit about how the they artwork do. is made? They're drawn um, by Ed Bryant, um, who's a brilliant um, illustrator, whose background is games illustration. And what I think is very reassuring for people who think the apps are a bit kind of scary and cold and computery is that Ed starts with pencil sketches. Every time, I mean, he's all about that. He he he's all about creating characters in the way that illustrators have created characters forever and ever since he could make marks on paper and publish them. Um, so he he starts off with pencil sketches in a little sketchbook, um, and then he uh, he gets those onto screen, and then he starts coloring them up on screen. One of the things I find fascinating about how he works is that he only gets to draw the picture once. So in, if, if you compare that with, oh, I don't know who's a good example, Dr. Zeus. Every time Dr. Zeus draws the cat in the hat in different positions on the page, he's having to draw the cat in the hat. He had to draw, Peter Geisel had to draw the cat in the hat again. Um, in the case of Ed, Ed comes up with the characters and he sketches them in different positions, but then the final version of that character is created standing straight and with her arms out one either side. So it's called, apparently, it's called a T-form. Um, and so the, so the character is created once. And then all of the expression from that character is derived from changes in how they're moving, the positioning of their eyebrows, the positioning of their mouth, 
and he can create so much expression from something that actually, when he starts off, looks very bland as a character. So he does that. Then he's using, um, he's creating uh, background images, and every single piece of foliage, every bush that he draws, every tree that he draws, he has to draw all the leaves on those trees. Um, and then what he does is he puts it into a, a program called Maya that helps him to construct it as a 3D scene. And if you tilt your iPad when you're looking at our app, you'll get a bit of a sense of their 3D quality. And every single object that he's drawn, so that bush that I mentioned that he drawn, he then makes into a 3D object on the screen by pulling bits of it forward towards you and pushing bits of it backwards away from you. Um, so it's a very long, complex process, but one that I think is one that has given the fairytale apps that you talk about, that we're talking about at the moment, um, a very picture booky feel because I think they have a lot of love in them, a lot of illustrative love. Definitely, and I definitely get that feel from them. And I think that that concept of making them 3D makes them even richer. Like it's being able to look at a picture book, but like look deeper into it in a really special way. So do you have a different artist for like the Busy Bear apps and the Pip and Posey apps? Yes, the Busy Bear apps are created by the same person who creates the Busy Bear book. So in that case, we have the art and then we we break up the art. I talked about the fact that Ed created the art in these... um, in these sort of T form, these characters in T form. In the case of Busy Bear, we have to take the best full frontal version of Busy Bear that we can have, where he's standing looking at the the reader, and we have to break him up and then almost animate him like a puppet. Does that make sense? And so that's Benji who creates that artwork. Benji works digitally, so he creates Benji Davis the illustrator who who does all of the Busy Bear books. He creates his work digitally. That's a relatively easy thing to do. We can almost peel Busy Bear off the background because Benji, when he's created Busy Bear, will have drawn the background and then he'll have placed Busy Bear digitally onto it. So there will be some... The important thing that I'm saying here is there is something behind Busy Bear. There's art behind Busy Bear. By contrast, in Pip and Posey, there is nothing behind Pip. There is nothing behind Posey because Axel Scheffler, who's the illustrator of Pip and Posey, he works in watercolor. And so it's a much more complicated, difficult process to do any animation for Axel. And that's quite a limitation in terms of what we can do with his art on screen. Because his art doesn't start digitally. His art doesn't start digitally. Well, I I think this is really interesting to talk about how you have different apps within um, within your catalog, but how they are translated from book or from nothing, from artwork, right, into the into the mm. app is all, like, different methods. I think that's really interesting. Is there an average length of time it takes to develop an app from idea to available? Yes, there is. We've discovered over, over the time. With the size of team that we have, something as complicated as a fairy tale app takes about nine months from start to finish. And the fairy tale apps... Are there books that go with those, or are they just apps? Yes, there are. Yes, there are. Four of them have been made into books. Because, because book art and app art have to be different in various ways, um, it takes Ed time out of making the app to do the to tweak the art so that it can appear in books. It, it, it doesn't, it's not, so, so it's not as if we can just pour the app art into the books. We, we have to have Ed do some work on it. So at the moment, there are two 
apps outstanding that don't have um, that don't have books. So Snow White, we've done an app of Snow White, and that doesn't have a book associated with it. And Goldilocks and Little Bear doesn't have a Goldilocks book associated with it. And so um, the app comes out first for the fairy tale ones. In that case, the app comes out first. But in the Busy Bears, the book comes out first. In the case of the Busy Bears, the book comes out first because that's the only way we have the art. Right, right, right. Also fascinating. And what, like, are they in lots of different languages? I can't remember. Yes, um, they've been published in, uh, well, something like the, the ones that have been published in most languages are Cinderella and Three Little Pigs. Mm-hmm. Case of Cinderella and Three Little Pigs and most of the others. They're published in French, German, and Dutch, as well as English. In the case of um, Three Little Pigs and uh, Cinderella, they're published in English, French, German, Dutch, Chinese, and Spanish. And in the case of French, German, and Dutch, we worked with publishers in from Germany and the Netherlands to get them to make the apps and to translate them. And so we worked with them in partnership. In the case of Spanish and Chinese, we did it ourselves. So we recorded Colombian children, because apparently that's the most international Spanish accent you can have. Yeah. And, um, and Chinese children speaking in Chinese and, um, and in Spanish. Um, to create the apps in those two languages. That's very tricky for us because I have a very working knowledge of Spanish, but I don't have any knowledge at all of Chinese. So the quality control was hard for us. Yeah. But apparently they're great. Apparently it's all fun. <laughs> but I, I've heard they're fabulous. <laughs> it was terrifying to try and do it. Um, it was a big responsibility. Um, are those different languages available like in the U.S. store, can you just choose a different language, or is that something you have to buy in the separate stores? If you buy, if you buy Nosy Crow versions of Three Little Pigs and Cinderella, you can choose what language to have those in. If you want them in French or German, or uh, you can choose whether you get English, Chinese, or Spanish. If you buy them. If you want the French version, you have to buy a separate French app. How do you do app testing with kids? We we don't do it. At, it's quite challenging doing app testing for kids because you have to get to something that's quite finished before before you can show it to children. It, it, it's not good. It doesn't it doesn't perform well enough before that point. But a good example of when we changed something was in Jack and the Beanstalk. In Jack and the Beanstalk, initially, we had Jack coming on. Now, I have to think about this very hard because I don't know my left hand from my right hand, but work with me here. As I'm looking at the screen, coming on from the left to meet a dragon who was on the right of the screen. And the child is asked, the reader is asked, to um, press stones with different symbols on them in order to release the baby dragon who just wants to fly home to its mother's not threatening dragon at all. It turned out that 90% of children are right-handed and that 90% of children rested their littler hands too close to the screen to see the impact of what they were doing when they touched those stones with the symbol on them. Oh. So they couldn't see the bars moving because they were concealed by their own right hand. And we had to flip that, or we decided to flip that so that now Jack comes on from the right and he meets the dragon who's on the left. And so that works for 90% of children. Sadly, it doesn't work as well for 10% of children. But I had to, we had to make a decision. We didn't realize quite how much they would 
obscure the screen with their hands because adults have longer fingers and so they they were reaching across the art. We were reach when we were doing it, we were reaching across the art more. And children have shorter fingers so they have to have the, the palm of their hand more over the space. So that's a good example of something mechanical that we flipped before we before we released the app. We we were trialing this you know, the app was nearly ready to go and right. we were trialing this kind of towards the end. So did you have kids like coming into your offices to do that or did you have um, like a test? We flight? use, we go to schools um, and we have a group of, yeah, we have a group of parents who volunteer their children as guinea pigs. Nice. That's fascinating to me. So how old, like if they were, they were school age kids then, right? Yeah, we find that the, the fairy tale app, really the, the appeal is sort of from four to eight. So a little bit preschool for us that's in the UK, tiny bit preschool and then up to what we would call key stage two, so through, yeah, four to eight. So, Kate, one of the really important concepts that librarians and researchers are trying to share with parents when it comes to um, sharing apps with their kids is something that we call joint media engagement, which is really just a big fancy way of saying play together with your kids as they're playing with apps. Um, do Does the Nosy Crows team keep this concept in mind at all as they're developing new apps? Have you heard of this concept? Um, or what are the, some of the ways that your apps do encourage people to play together? Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, we are seeing we are seeing a lot of parents read the story with the child and work through the app with the child. We know that that happens. But I have to say that one of the things that we were interested in was giving children, uh, which works entirely against this, a kind of autonomy. Because I was struck by the fact that when my children were little, before they could decode text, they were very reliant on there being an adult around or on them knowing the text. They, they could work within known text um, very well and they'd be able to tell themselves a story. I was quite excited about the idea that some reading time could be reading time even independent of an adult. And so, of course, we know also that some parents are um, kind of give their screen to the child and the child is engaging with that app on their own. And I feel comfortable that the quality is and what we're giving them means that that's a, that screen time well spent, if you like. Um, all of our apps, though, would have the option to either have it read to you or to read it myself. And again, that's a mode that would encourage parental and children, a parent and a child to interact with that app themselves. And we're not expecting that parents would use one mode exclusively or the other mode exclusively. We think a lot of parents are chopping and changing between familiarizing the child with the app by um, providing um, an audio version of it or you know, listening to the audio version that we provided, and then they'll explore it or they'll retell it themselves. Um, so I think that's a factor. Uh, we've given a gentle tool to encourage children to read it themselves as we can. So we've done highlighted text in the audio version so that you can see the words come up. And in the case of the read it by myself version, you can choose different lengths of time for which the text appears. So you can choose a short length of time, medium length of time, a long length of time. So again, encouraging children to approach this in as many different ways as possible. I think that the app that we have made that encourages most clearly sharing and engagement is um, is the uh, the uh, fairy tale theatre which you which you mentioned, where we really are encouraging children to make films of 
theatre of puppet shows that they are doing and then to export those puppet shows. Um, we do those, so that's a very, and we think that's very exciting. Yeah, as I, I said before, handing back that creativity to the child, I think, is something that's really thrilling and enabling them to capture that and then send it to whoever they want to is terrific. We're very aware, though, of being responsible as app creators. And one of the things that we wanted, one of the things that interests me about apps relative to online play, which I think is also exciting and engaging and thrilling, is the degree to which an app is a kind of walled garden. Mm-hmm. And um, so we wanted to be quite careful about how many as it were, links to the outside a given app had. Absolutely. And so we're very careful about introducing things that either pull the world in or push the child out of the app in or push the content and the child kind of outside the walled garden because there's something very safe in the same way the book is safe i think there's something very safe about the 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 walls of the app if you like oh kate kate i'm so glad that you decided to talk a little bit about that and about that whole walled garden thing because mm, that is a sign of another one of my very favorite characteristics to look for in bad apps Those are apps that don't really have a walled garden. Apps that have easy access to social media like Facebook and and Twitter. I know that parents just hate it if their kids are on an app and all of a sudden are posting stuff on their Facebook. That's just, oh, it's deliciously evil. And so I definitely look for, when I'm looking for a really bad app, I'm looking for apps that have easy access out into the wider world and let kids get into spots where they really shouldn't get to because that's just awesomely evil. So that's one of the things I look for in bad apps. Thanks for being sure to bring that up. Uh, thanks, Bad App Fairy. I'm, I'm not sure that she meant to bring up the characteristics of a bad app, but she was pointing out that Nosy Crow definitely doesn't have any of those characteristics, right? Well, yeah, definitely. Nosy Crow is good stuff, uh, but I don't like good stuff. I only like bad stuff. Okay, well, thanks so much for your input, Bad App Fairy. Kate, did you want to continue? Sorry for that interruption. And one of the things I think has been surprising to us, actually just as a little footnote, mm-hmm. is we've been, there are two things that librarians have said to us here in the UK. One is how much they're using the app with children with special educational needs. And we have some fantastic stuff on the, the a really beautiful piece written by the mother of a child called Inez, I-N-E-S, on our website. And if you were to go to www.nosycrow.com, you'd find, and you Google Inez, you, sorry, you search Inez, you'd find the mother's blog post about how Inez has uh, adores our fairy tale apps and they've been a hugely important part of, of Inez's um, education and understanding a story and, and Inez is a child um, who has Down syndrome um, and we didn't I can't begin to pretend that we created the app for children who have special educational needs but I'm very interested that they have been particularly useful to um, a community of parents and carers and teachers and librarians who are supporting children with education needs. So I think that's fascinating. The other thing that, that librarians have talked about in terms of the value of the audio has been how useful they are for people for whom English is not their home language. Mm-hmm. And that parents feel very comfortable and supported sharing these stories with their children because they have audio language support. Mm-hmm. 
That, that is absolutely one of the benefits, I think, of having these books with the narration um, available. But I do appreciate that you have both the read to me and read it myself yeah. options. Uh, if there is an app that only has the narrator reading it and doesn't even have an option to turn that off, that's almost a deal breaker for me. So I really appreciate that you right. guys have included that as an option because it's true that, that the apps will be used in different ways and it's nice to be able to, to choose which way you're going to use it. One of the things I think has also been really interesting, having done it for quite a long time, is to see children involved from using them with all, only with the audio and then parents sending us videos of the child reciting them as a known text <laughs> and then versions of ch children now, of course, playing with fairytale theatre who are using parts of the language that they picked up from using the app but who are, of course, using all of their own language too. So it's also very interesting to see how, diff how children may at different stages in their own reading development choose to use the apps in different ways and that parents may be choosing to use the apps in different ways with their children in different ways as those kids develop. That's so, very exciting. So they've listened to the original fairy tale apps often enough that they have some of the dialogue memorized and they'll insert it during Completely, the... completely. And if <laughs> I you love were it. To go to, if you were to go to... Oh, yeah, there's a Nosy Crow YouTube channel and I think there you'd find there's some kids there's some kids who you, you'll hear reciting bits of, of, of known text. Oh, nice. We'll have to check that out. One of the things that librarians love is something we call uh, rare words. This is where it's, it's kind of a vocabulary builder where in books, often text is used that you won't, don't often say in your everyday conversations. And so like, are any of those rare words being used again? Do you know? I don't think it's, I don't think it's something that we would think about as Here's a rare word that we're going to introduce, <laughs> but I think that we would we would put in words that were character appropriate. So if you had a character who was a bit pompous or sort of orotund, then you'd use a particular um, register of language, and then the giant in Jack and the Beanstalk uses a completely different register of language because mm -hmm. he's kind of quite brutish. And um, so I think. I, I honestly can't answer that question just like off the top of my head, but I think that you'd find there was a real, a real range of register within the app. Oh, now I'm going to have to go dig into those videos and see what I can find. That sounds like a fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Uh oh, I think I hear the app fairy coming in. Great. Hi, hi, I'm here. I'm the app fairy. Kate, I have a question for you. Hello, at Fairy. I'm very thrilled to meet you. I'm so glad that you're here today. Um, I only have one question today from a kid, and that question is, why are you called Nosy Crow? We are called Nosy Crow because I had worked in lots of companies that had names that weren't the names of an animal. And when I had my own company, I thought what I would like to have is to have a company that's got an animal name. I like animals very much, that has an animal name in it. And so I went to the internet and I tried to find an animal name for my company. And do you know, the awful truth is, all the good animal names are taken. Oh, no. And you will discover this. You will discover this if you ever try and set up your own animal name company. And my brother, who's a little bit younger than me, which means he's still very old, had once come up with, a name of a character called Nosy Crow. 
And he thought it would be a good idea to put the character in a book. And I said, I thought it was a very silly idea. And I said, I would not make a book with a character called Mosey Crow. But when I was really tearing my hair out, looking for a name for my company, he said, I think you should call it Nosy Crow. He reminded me of this character that he thought of years before. And I said to him, I bet Nosy Crow's name is, the name nosycrow.com is taken. And I typed it into the special website where you find the name. I typed it into that website. And sadly, it was available. <laughs> we are nosycrow.com. And then my brilliant, wonderful co-founder, Camilla, he's, um, he's our editorial director, I met her immediately. That was happening around the holiday season. And so I met her in the January, and early in January. And I drew, I said, I think it should look a bit like this, our nosy crow. And I drew a terrible thing on a piece of paper, but like nothing on earth. And then she said, oh, really? Because I thought it should look like this. And she drew the crow that is our logo almost perfectly. And she's not an illustrator. She's an editor. But she drew that crow perfectly. And I looked at that crow and I said, you are right. That's exactly what our logo should look like. And we became Nosy Crow with that image as part of our logo from then on. And we use it on all of our apps, as anyone who's seen our apps will, will know. And also, we have this really great relationship with Candlewick Press in America. So, though I'm speaking to you from London, a lot of, the, a lot of our books are available in the U.S. through Candlewick. And they liked it so much that they put Nosy Crow on their books, too. So, we have some Nosy books that we publish in London here which are published as Nosy Crow books in London. And even in America, even though they're published by Candlewick Press, they still have a Nosy Crow on them. That is a fabulous story. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing that story with me. Pleasure. It's a pleasure. All right. I'm going to head off now. Thanks so much for talking to us today. Bye-bye then. Thank you very much for having me. Bye, App Fairy. Thanks for coming. Goodbye. Well, Kate, it was really, really wonderful to talk with you today about Nosy Crow and about your fairy tale apps and all the apps and books that, that Nosy Crow makes. Thank you so much for coming on to uh, the App Fairy today to talk to us. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks for listening today. The App Fairy podcast is a production of the Madison Public Library and is sponsored by the Joan Gans Cooney Center, a nonprofit research and innovation lab dedicated to advancing children's learning in a digital age. Visit CooneyCenter.org for more information about the work they do. That's Cooney, C-O-O-N-E-Y. If you'd like more information about the podcast, be sure to check out our website at www.appfairy.org, where we'll post lots of goodies online for you to enjoy. If you have questions for the App Fairy, for me, or for the developers, use the contact form at appfairy.org. A big thanks to Audrey Martinovich, our audio engineer, David Seste, who created our theme music, and Hannah Sandvold, who designed our artwork. My name is Carissa Christner. Thanks for listening. The hidden gem for this episode is the app called A Story Before Bed. A Story Before Bed is an app put together by a company called Jackson Fish Market, and they have a whole bunch of books in their catalog that some of them are real books that you can get physical copies of in your library or in your bookstore, and you can read, or you can read them in the A Story Before Bed app. And the best part is, while you're reading, you can record a video of yourself reading the book, and then you can share that video of yourself reading the book with people that you love, friends and family who live far away. This is a great way for grandparents to read a bedtime story to their grandkids that might live in a really faraway place. 
And I just think it's a really sweet app and a great way to have stories and apps connecting people who love each other.